is the Normal Guy Lazy Eye Podcast, a true eye-opening experience. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the 26th episode of the Normal Guy Lazy Eye Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jared Magazine. And uh, here, like I said, episode 26, here we are. If you're new around here, welcome. Uh, you can start at the beginning. We have 25 other great episodes. And if you've been sticking around all this time, thank you so much. I can't believe you still stick around to hear my voice. I'm pretty sure you're here to hear all the amazing guests that we have on the show. And today is uh, no shortage of that. We have a nice short and sweet episode with the legendary podcaster, John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneurs on Fire. John is a fellow PC grad, so he hooked me up with a nice 30-minute interview uh, because this guy, one day a week, he is dedicating his week to going on other people's shows and he usually gives them 15 minutes. So I got the nice PC discount. We got a little micro episode here for a 30 minute uh, interview with John Lee Dumas. We talk all about really the, the evolution of podcasting, you know, here in 2021, I think it's such a big thing. Now it's a medium that almost every single digital creator is using, but back in the early 2000s, it was almost like unheard of. And that's when John really jumped on this thing. So we talk about how he got started, how he put out an episode a day, how he mastered his first 100 hours. He will claim that it was about 250 hours until he felt like he was actually in a nice spot uh, and uh, how he truly monetized his entire uh, his entire career from this podcast and then ultimately um, and all his other entities. So John is doing it right. No question about it. An absolutely incredible interview. I did feel a little pressured, uh, with 30 minutes, not my typical format, but it's a nice episode. I hope you enjoy it. So please, uh, sit back, relax, because here is John Lee Dumas. All right. We got John Lee Dumas on the show, the podcast. God, John, thank you so much for coming on. And, uh, we're recording this on twelve seventeen. So happy belated birthday. Thank you. I did turn 41 yesterday. I'm a 2002 Providence College grad. So uh, I got my little pin here to remind me of the awesomeness of PC. Of course, I love your hat. I have one almost identical and uh, go Friars. Go Friars. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that PC connection for a second. So you, you willingly admitted that you graduated in 02. You know, you're maybe I would I'm say, <laughs> well, 41's not that bad. 41's not that old. <laughs> but like you, you graduated in 02. This, obviously, the school is significantly different than when you were there. Yeah. You're ROTC guy. I was on the swim team. So we definitely got the, the early mornings together. But what like, was your stroke? What was your best stroke? I was a distance swimmer. So I was the psychopath that wow. was just, yeah. But you could just, drink as many beers at Louis as you had. So I mean, it was just like <laughs> calories did not matter for you. Yeah. The, and then I, that was the, I, that was the hard realization when I graduated. Yeah. The calories start to matter after they start that. to matter totally <laughs> totally get it but yeah so when was the last time you were back there uh just a couple of years ago i usually go back to campus every time i go home to maine because it's about a, a two-hour drive um so it's pretty reasonable and i'm still actually very good uh and uh good friends and close with father erie who uh mm. still lives on campus so i always meet up with him we do a little tour he shows me all the new things like the ruane center and all that jazz so and nothing it's, crazy. It's, it's amazing what they've done with the campus. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, what's next? We have to have the JLD like school of, of media, right? I feel like it has to happen. It really it's it's got to happen soon. You got to <laughs> get on that. We just have to find a place to build it. I don't know no, where. Really. But we just where are we going to fit that in? We're gonna, it's going to buy like Eaton Street up or something. They're they're going to keep buying. I mean, they literally. It's it's crazy and like 
the amount of times like they keep saying like we need a new dorm we need a new dorm and i say they say like the students are saying that so mm. like we, i don't know what's next but they they we've got to get the jld school got media over there <laughs> got him i love it but so you, so you graduated in 02 four years of active duty after being in rotc yep. 18 months in iraq what was the what was the biggest thing that you took away from the army that you still carry in your everyday life <sighs> A perspective is really one big thing because during those 13 months, I mean, listen, I'm being shot at, you know, on a consistent basis, you know, we're receiving mortar rounds and I'm, I'm living and seeing, you know, frankly, you know, people being wounded and dying mm-hmm. almost on a daily basis. And, um, you know, you have breakfast with somebody in the morning, they're no longer alive that evening and, and, and they're, you know, in their late teens, early twenties. I mean, it's really... Right. Just uh, such a shift, you know, from, of course, the glory days of of Providence College, where you have no cares in the world, you know, except, you know, which bar am I going to go to tonight? And so it was it was it was a really tough transition, really difficult transition. But it really, I feel like did give me perspective of, you know, the years afterwards that can be tough when you're trying to make your way in the real world. And like I was in law school, corporate finance, commercial real estate, like trying to find my way, having a lot of struggles and failures doing so, but being able to be like, well, I'm not being shot at today. My friends aren't being killed today. Um, so, you know, life could be worse. And it's right. honestly kind of like a stoic philosophy. I don't know how much into stoicism you've gotten, if at all. But I mean, it's really fascinating to me um, to, to be able to go back and read some stoicism and, and to really kind of just understand that whole meaning and belief of, you know, do what you can where you are with what you have. And like, if you just kind of keep that mindset in the, in the, in the forefront, you know, you stop like regretting the past or fearing the future. Cause it just is what it is in the moment. So that's what it's really been for me. Yeah, definitely. I think like you bring up stoicism. It's like, it's like we carry Western Civ into our everyday life still. There it is. There it is. <laughs> you definitely had to drop that and be like, yep, I'm still doing DWC here. in hundred percent. Oh man. I miss those Civ screams. Those are great. Those are so gone. It's gone. So sad. Yeah, dude. When I okay, when I graduated in 2019, Dormstorm was done because Mm. the year before kind of messed it up for everybody. Bummer. And Civ Scream was done because I I don't know, man. It's just there, and you know, Clubbies and Louis is gone, and you know, yeah. But like, Mm. but I mean, it's just like they're taking away a little bit more. But the you know, there's still Brad's. They have um old you know old still like it's it's all still it's still it's still Providence for sure. I still I still think I'm gonna buy Prime Time up. I don't even know if you've ever heard of Prime Time, but that was like the awesome bar that was like past the cemetery when I when I was there, and it was like this little place right on the corner there, and. We've always been like, we need to buy that and just open it back up just for PC I students. I love it. I love it. So you, you, you got back to civilian life, call it, by age of 26. You entered into, like you said, corporate finance. Uh, you were with John Hancock up in Boston here, right? Yeah. And so yeah, I was living in Southie, working in the Seaport District with John Hancock. Yeah. So what, like that transition from, like you just said, getting shot at every, you know, waking up and not knowing if your, 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 you know, your comrades are with you. What was that day-to-day shift like for you? Again, it was tough because it was just kind of like, oh, like people were doing this during the 13 months that I was like waking up and like experiencing this whole different alien world, which right. you know is war. So it was pretty crazy to kind of like now know that I was now doing that while other people were experiencing what I was experiencing in Afghanistan, in Iraq, and of course, just other places around the world. Um, you know, for just any soldier that not even, you know, in the American uh, military. So it was kind of like, again, like this kind of like surreal experience of like, well, you know what? I mean, 
let's just kind of have this mentality of stoic, you know, be stoic and have stoicism here of just perspective is everything. Let's make the most of today. And believe me, I slipped in and out of that a lot. I mean, I was in my twenties, you know, during that stage. And, you know, I was like, kind of like in the stage where you're at now of kind of like entering into the real world, you know, post for me though, post-military, which is kind of not the real world. And it was just kind of like, man, I got to make my way in the world and kind of do what happens. So there was plenty of ups, plenty of downs. I was, you know, dealing with PTSD over that time as well from just, you know, the very emotional intensity of being an officer in the army during a time of war. So that was a factor as well. So, you know, I wasn't able to keep that stoic philosophy 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I slipped in and out of that. Um, But, you know, it was something that I will say definitely helped me through those times. Yeah. And, and you're obviously very open about it. The the corporate finance world, whether it was that in, or trying your hand at law school, trying your hand at commercial real estate, when did that start to become a slump and like, this is not what I want to be doing. This is not for me. Yeah. And you know, there were some great times, like uh, the first like seven or eight months in John Hancock, like I loved it because I was going yeah. to work. I had a great job. I had a beautiful office, like literally um, my windows were overlooking the skyline of Boston. I had a great place in Southie with my best friend and roommate from PC. Um, and then another friend that we had from over the years. So we had a great pad right on East Broadway in Southie. And I mean, like life was really good. And then the financial crisis hit in 2008. And like they laid off 70% essentially of my floor, which Jeez. I was not one of luckily because I was a top sales guy there. So I, I made it through that. But, you know, just it was different. Like, you know, sales weren't happening. We were a very commission-based um, structure. So, like, I was now making just my base salary, which is very low because, you know, it was all incentivized for commissions. Yeah. So I just knew it was time to move on, and I did. And the next thing didn't work out either because of the recession. And then I went into law school, and, you know, that just was, again, started off great. I like, looked around, and I was like, oh, man, there's some really cool people in this room, like a lot of smart, you know, individuals. And I, I'm in Bristol, Rhode Island at Roger Williams, which is only – you know, a 25 minute drive to, to go watch the Friars play the civic center and the dunk. And, uh, you know, so, so, I mean, I thought that was going to be fun, but then immediately, like, I just was like, this is actually not what I want to do. And, you know, to me, that's actually one, one thing that I saw a lot of people in law school to kind of shift there for a second, go through, and that's the sunk cost fallacy. Like they're like, okay, I dropped $20,000 for this one semester of law school. That means I need to stay here for three years and then I need to be a lawyer for the rest of my life because I've already spent that $20,000. And they're kind of like committing themselves to a life of unhappiness um, just because of that first decision they made that didn't work out. And luckily I was able to say, you know, I know that was a mistake. I got to eat that $20,000. It's a $20,000 lesson, but now I'm going to break away and have a chance to find what is I, I am supposed to have meant to do and just take away whatever lessons I can from my one semester in law school. And, you know, so of course some people are meant to be lawyers and they are living happy lives and thriving lives doing that. But most people, if you could ask them, if you could go back to like your first year of law school and just shift out of it with yeah. no repercussions, would you have? And they'd be like, oh, of course, in a heartbeat. Like I'm not loving my career right now. And so that's just one thing to think about, the sunk cost fallacy. Like just don't get caught up in that. Yeah, and I think when you start law school, you're looking at Mount Everest from the bottom. Like, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a good analogy. <laughs> Yeah. I, I and like, whether that's, whether that's law school, medical school, I mean, the, the doctors that are becoming doctors today, I mean, boy, do they have a rude awakening. Ooh, big time, <laughs> big time. But so kind of going back to your day to day, you know, you have, you, you listen to your podcast on a daily commute, you're listening to your favorite podcast. And what happens? You, it, 
where like where did that aha moment of this is something that I I want to start doing this is something that I can make my hand at and and make money off of it and make a career from this yeah it was honestly just finding a void in that marketplace of the podcast world I was saying wow, like I'm loving these interviews with, with successful entrepreneurs. Like I'm really inspired by them. I'm learning a lot. I think they're very entertaining and enjoyable to listen to. I can't wait to go back home now after my drive and find a daily show that interviews entrepreneurs because I want to subscribe to that show. So I get one of these episodes every single week, like every single day of the week. Like I want right. to wake up and have that episode waiting for me. And I went back and the show didn't exist. And I was like, how's that possible? It'd be like you waking up tomorrow and being like, wait, there's no sports center that like does the highlights from yesterday's sports games. It's like, it's unfathomable. Like, I just was like, how can this not exist? And then I kind of looked into it more and I was like, well, it's a lot of work. That's why a lot of people haven't decided to try this. Um, but I'm willing to do a lot of work for something that I really think um, is a is an answer to a problem, is a solution to a struggle. And so, you know, that's when I just said, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Like, I'm not going to be good as a podcast host when I start, I'm not going to know what I'm doing. Um, I don't know if this is going to work. Like just cause I, I think it's, it's a void doesn't mean there's enough other people to make it worthwhile, but I hope so. And I gave it a whirl and, you know, it is something that I just launched into a void that was immediately like, yes, this was needed. This right. had to, this had, this, ha this should have existed years ago. And so there was just this immediate uptake on it and it just worked. And so that's, you know, what I would consider, you know, a grand slam on, on my first swing. Right. Um, I've, had, <laughs> I've, had, I've had many misses and strikeouts since then as, as I've tried different things, new things, you know, push the envelope, challenge myself, which I'm all glad that I did because, you know, otherwise you're just stuck in your comfort zone and that's not where any magic happens. Um, but, you know, that's kind of my attitude is like, take these big swings and hopefully identify earlier than later when they just don't catch on and click. And right from the beginning, entrepreneurs on fire caught on. And again, multiple things that I've launched since then have not, I've shut them down. And then just focus on, you know, right now, as we are eight years later, the yeah. few things that are really working for my business that are bringing in the multi-millions of dollars, not the five and the tens of thousands of dollars. No, yeah, and like the one of the one of the biggest things that I learned in my first year at Providence was my marketing professor said it takes a hundred hours to become particularly skilled at something. If you're absolutely starting from nothing and not doing it, it takes at least a hundred hours. You going from listening to podcasts to I'm launching a podcast that I'm going to release every single day. Like obviously, you, you literally did trial by fire. You know, not not to use this you know yeah. the same word over and over again. But like, how did you work on? baby stepping that and saying a little bit better okay this has to be a little bit better when every single day you're like well i still got to edit next you know tomorrow's episode and get it all done and, and do the next interview and so on and so forth and that was one problem with a lot of podcasters is they were just launching a weekly show and right. so to get to their 100 hours it was taking them years to get right. to 100 hours because they were doing 30 minutes a week so you know how many is that that's like 20 hours a year or something i don't even know right. the exact math on that something close to that 25 hours a year right i was doing 30 minutes a day mm -hmm. so i'm getting to my 100 hours so much faster than anybody else um it's kind of funny like you said the 100 hours for me i actually look at it at uh, episode 480 for some reason that was to me when i clicked so you know that was about 250 hours you know give or take whatever because right. some of my shows were longer and shorter yeah so about 250 hours is when it clicked for me i was like okay i feel like i'm actually I'm not great but i feel like i'm good 
And a book that really helped me along that journey from zero to episode 480, from being terrible to kind of terrible to not that terrible to okay, um, was a book called The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. And it just talked and showed these great examples of how it's really the small incremental <clears throat> successes you have over time and the small incremental work that you put in that really creates a slight edge over time, like not immediately, but over time. And then that book I followed up with was called The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy, which really built off of those principles and, and showed you the power of compounds. And you know that, of course, is for anybody that invests in the stock market, you know, the power of like compounding interest, et cetera. Right. Like that's why people like Warren Buffett, you know, <laughs> it's not like he invested at Bitcoin at 25 cents and then right. it went to 19,000 or today, 23,000, you know, he just compounded very good returns over a very long time. Yeah. And like going off of that, you know, you're saying that it took almost, you know, over a year, almost a year and a half to you becoming perfected at your craft, at least to where you wanted it to be and, and exceeding beyond that. But yeah, just to where talk, I felt good. Yeah. But, and let's talk about the money side of podcasting because, you know, like, Everyone wants to, everyone wants to be the next barstool sports, you know, call, like whether it be caller daddy and she's making millions or the part of my take guys and they have exceptional guests or entrepreneurs on fire in what you're doing. Like, how did you see back in 2012, you know, grinding it out for nine months? I can monetize this into what you're doing today where you can actually charge guests to come on your show. Yeah, it was a leap of faith because I mean, back then, honestly, there wasn't really that many proof cases or test cases of people right. really making money. Like podcasting was a way that they served and grew an audience, but then they were making money in other ways like coaching or this or that. And so, you know, I, I really wanted to, to test that model and say, well, I think the podcast itself can be a big earner of money. And it was kind of funny because like my mentor back then was like, well, how are some ways you think that, that can happen? I'm like, well, if I have a big enough audience, people are going to want to, people are going to be willing to pay to come on my show um, to, you know, be exposed to my audience. She's like, people right. pay a publicist to get exposed in Forbes and Inc and all these different things. Right. And she's like, no, that's not really ever going to happen. And, and, you know, now it's $3,500 per guest per episode on my show. And, you know, I am having like, you know, between 10 to 15 people per month, you know, paying that fee to be on the show. So you can do the math pretty quickly. And that's, yeah. you know, just a, portion in the stream of our overall revenue because these those episodes still have sponsorships and they still drive you know our audience to our products and our services like podcasters paradise which is the biggest podcasting course and community in the world on how to create grow and monetize your podcast so you know it was a leap of faith and for nine months i didn't really make money but i was like i'm going to create free valuable and consistent content for my audience that's going to grow because I'm giving them that free, valuable, and consistent content, which was daily. And then I'm going to build up no like, and trust with that audience. And then I'm going to go to them at some point when I'm ready and say, what's your biggest struggle? And then I'm going to listen to their answer. And then I'm going to create a product or a service or a community um, that's the solution to their problem and then mm -hmm. offer it to them. And I did that with my first mastermind, Fire Nation Elite, where we had a hundred people join a mastermind for $150 per month. So again, do the math immediately. That was a five figure per month business. Right. Um, and again, not day one of my podcast being launched, but you know, once I got into the year plus mark, then we launched a course that 
that I already mentioned, Podcasters Paradise, that started having a lot of success. And then we've just done other things over the years. Like I've launched four journals now, the Freedom Journal, the Mastery Journal, the 100 Day Goal Journal, the Podcast Journal. An episode a day, right? And you're, you're bringing on entrepreneur after entrepreneur. And our first episode was with Kinsey Grant of The Morning Brew and, and Business Casual. And one of the things that I learned from her was try to get the guest, whoever it may be, whatever they do, to say something that you know that they haven't said on somebody else's show. Like you've been on hundreds of podcasts and, and you've had hundreds of people that have also been on other podcasts. So how do you keep that fire lit in getting people to continuing to have a newer conversation, talk about new things, you know, excite people on a different level than what they've already been saying on the other four other podcasts they did later that, that month? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's very difficult to achieve, especially these days when there's a lot of shows and a lot of people that are kind of making the quote unquote circuit. Right. And that's one of the reasons why Entrepreneurs on Fire was so successful right from the beginning is because I did ask that question that nobody was ever being asked. I asked the question, what is your biggest failure? What is your biggest entrepreneurial falling on your face moment you've ever had? And a lot of people were like, whoa, like that's an intense question. Of yeah. course, I, I, I prepped them with it so they weren't like shocked on the air because um, I wanted them to give their best answer. I wanted them to think about it. Right. Um, but I can tell you that like that was an, an answer that pulled out some amazing things from some of my earlier big, not, big time guests like Seth Godin shared a time that he got arrested on the AOL campus. And he's like, I never shared that story before. And so he was like wow. sharing stories that he's never shared before, which made him want to share the podcast with other people. And, you know, um, same thing was happening with other guests that I was interviewing as well. So it just made it a very shareable show for that reason. Um, so that's when, what I give is a huge recommendation to, you know, people that are launching shows this day and age is what unique content are you bringing to the world? Like, you know, I, I'm being interviewed by 20 people today. Like today's my day. I have 20 back-to-back -back interviews. Um, this is just my one day per month that I just commit to being on other shows you know, 18 of those are going to ask me the exact same questions. And so when it comes time to share the, the podcast, I can't because my audience has heard those answers 1800 times, Right. but there'll be one or two that like really just take a different, unique angle. Like I was interviewed a couple months ago and we just talked sports, like, you know, college basketball, Providence Friar passion that I have, you know, Love my high, my high school sports, you know, growing up. And like, it was like, I had never talked about that stuff before. So that was like a really unique episode that when it came time, I shared it with the world just a couple uh, weeks ago. Um, I actually was interviewed by this UCLA um, audio team and they interviewed me for two hours, which I rarely do, but I knew the quality of their work. They distilled it down to a 55 minute interview and they added sound effects and music and interludes and all these different things. Mm -hmm. And it was just a, an amazing 55 minutes uh, of an interview, so well done that I put it on my About Me page. And then I published that podcast on my feed, Entrepreneurs on Fire. And I talked about that you know, publicly, like in social media and in my paradise Facebook group, you know, we're with all the other podcasters, like, this is how you do things differently. Um, this is, you know, the highest quality interview I've ever been on. So like, those are some examples of like, you know, you don't have to be like new, you don't, as far as like the content, you don't have to be, you know, like controversial, although right. you can be, but yeah, what you have to be, <laughs> yeah, you absolutely. But what you have to be is different. You have to have some unique thing. So you're not just like some weak, pale imitation of other shows. Cause frankly, guess what? If you come on and just like, you know, ask, um, you know, like the same five questions that I've asked my guests, you know, for the past eight years, 
Like you're going to fail because I've been doing it for eight years. So I'm great at podcasting now. And I've really, you know, honed my skills right. and you, the person who's probably, who's doing that thing that I just shared, you know, is probably new at this. And so you're not going to be nearly as good. So why would anybody listen to your show when, you know, there's a great show that's already out there. Like, you know, that's a reason why there's really been no second sports center, you know, to go back to that sports center question, because they just do it so well that anybody that tries to do it like them, I mean, they're just going to be a weak imitation. I, yeah, I agree completely. Cause I think a lot of times we're, we're seeing that. And like, that was the biggest thing that somebody told me was, What's going to make you like, you know, I was like, what should I call my podcast? And they're like the thousandth podcast under the sun. And like he said that he was my Providence roommate. And he was like, he said that jokingly, but like, it was kind of like an eye opener. Like, no, you're absolutely right. Like people are putting out a new podcast every day, especially in quarantine where we can make it easier to do this type of stuff over zoom. Right. So like, how are you going to make yourself unique? And the one thing that's unique about me is my lazy eye. And it's like, okay, Hmm. so let's normalize the differences in different people and have those types of conversations and, and have those interviews to see what's different about you. What makes you different? What makes you so, so special quote unquote. So that's kind of the, the, that's kind of how we found this one. And, and it's kind of, it's worked, you know, to an extent, right? (laughs) Yeah. And I would, you know, challenge you to continue kind of finding what is my unique wedge that I'm wedging into in the marketplace. Yeah. And I, I I don't know if this is the unique thing that you've done, but I think one thing that's specific is the move to Puerto Rico and like picking up every single thing that you're doing and moving to Puerto Rico. So I was listening to a podcast and the big thing that you said was the tax. You were, you were living in San Diego paying 51% tax. I'm originally from Orange County, so I know <laughs> what that's like, but Puerto Rico, you got it down to four. Is that right? Total, no state tax, no federal tax, 4%. So like, why isn't everyone doing that? And I can tell you why. Most people aren't making money. Like that's just the truth. Like, listen, at the end of the day, you're only paying a lot of money in taxes if you are netting after expenses a good amount of money. There's a lot of people that are making, you know, that are making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year gross, netting 30, 50, $70,000 a year. They're making a living. That's good. That's the vast majority of, of people. So their taxes aren't going to be that bad. You need to be netting, you know, I like to say $200,000 a year before it starts making sense to uprooting your business in your life. And, you know, potentially moving further away from family to come to a place like Puerto Rico, because it is a big shift. I mean, I love it here. I think it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's the Caribbean. The, the community here that I live in is fantastic. I love everything about it, but it was a right. big shift. Yeah. Now at $200,000 net per year, you're going to be saving about $100,000 a year by making a move like this. That's very meaningful money for people um, that are netting $200,000. Because you're netting $200,000 in California, you know, you're only keeping like $98,000 of that. Right. And that's still a lot of, that's good money, but that extra $100,000, man, that's a lot of money that can stay in your pocket. So that's the reason. Just, you know, most people aren't making, aren't, aren't making that um, much kind of a net profit where it really makes sense. And that's just the reality. And, you know, people that do, they start to kind of find their way down here. And, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that just live in my community down here that have done this. But, you know, we'll see what happens over the, the, the upcoming years. Yeah, I uh, I saw your Peloton right on your Instagram story with the view that you had, and and I it's was epic. Like, that makes sense. <laughs> it's epic. It's unbelievable. It's beautiful down here. I mean, it's gorgeous. 
The house that I bought is unbelievable, but it's a fraction of what it would cost, you know, in La Jolla. Right. Um, random question, by the way, because, you know, PC is usually such a regional here you school. Go. Yep. <laughs> How'd you get out there from Orange County? How'd you even hear yeah, about it? Yeah, great question. So the the first rule of thumb when my brother, my twin brother and I were um, applying to colleges was we were both going to swim, but we couldn't go to the same school and we couldn't go to a school where we can come home and do laundry on the weekends. So my dad was like, get out see new things, try new things. And the Northeast to me seemed like the, the best bet with in terms of like education and stuff and a small Catholic college in Providence with a big name in basketball and other athletics. I was like, this is a no brainer. So you <laughs> did look at Providence having a big name in basketball back when you applied? Yeah. Oh yeah. It was, I, I want, I wanted to go to a big school, but I, like, like I, like when I was 16, 15, I was like, Oh, I want to go to Ohio state. Yeah. But then I, I knew I couldn't swim there. And so it was like, okay, well, how do I find that big school feel? So it was, okay, the, you know, Big East basketball, that makes sense. And, hmm. uh, and, you know, swimming D1, that also makes sense. And then the education, like I knew I wasn't going pro in swimming. God, I mean, pff, there's no, I mean, there's the ISL and like those guys, you know, they still, you know, unless you're an Olympian, you're not making money, right? So it's like, I have to have some, I have to have a plan B. I have to have a, like, get out of college and, and have a new plan. So cool. it was, it was, it was a no brainer. Yeah. Yeah. So I know, I know you're a busy guy. I know, I know you're using today to, to do all these interviews. So I got a couple more questions here and, and I thought, why not ask the podcast God this question, sure. right? Where is the future of podcast headed? Like we see so many people putting out content. We see so many different types of podcasts. Is there a ceiling in this industry? Like, it, or where is it headed? I think there is a ceiling because listen, for me, you got to understand that podcasting fits a certain place in people's day, a very certain place. Like for me, it fits when I walk my dog in the morning, right. when I walk my dog in the evening. And then, you know, maybe if I'm just kind of hanging out at some point during the day, folding laundry, doing dishes, whatever that might be, I might pop on and listen to a couple of podcasts, but like, I'm not going to sit around at night, you know, singing Kumbaya and like listening to podcasts, like in a group of people, like that just right. doesn't happen. So there's, there's just a limit to like how much people are going to listen to podcasts. They're going to sit around and watch Netflix all day. Like there's no right. limits to the consumption of Netflix. Cause that's like what people do. So for me, you know, podcasting is all about the niche. Like if you're looking for the future, you've got to have a podcast that has a niche that you own. You got to own that niche by how and why and what by providing the best solution to a real problem. That's how you are going to win the podcasting game in the future and win those certain pockets of time that people allocate to the podcast space. And the beautiful thing about that though, by the way, is like nothing can replace audio. It's like audio is audio. It's like, you know, with video, it's like, oh, it's Periscope and then it's Meerkat and then it's TikTok and it's Instagram yeah. Reels and all these different yeah. things are like competing with each other. Like the spoken word is a spoken word. It's like right. podcasting is podcasting. So that's not going anywhere. It's like, cause you can't improve upon that. It's just the word. Um, but you know, it's only going to be able to take up so much, you know, space of everybody's day. So that's where the niche comes in. I love that. And so you've had over 2,600 entrepreneurs on your show, including mm -hmm. you know, Tony Robbins, Seth Godin, Gary V, Barbara Cochran. Do you, have you met your dream guest yet? I don't have a dream guest. You know, I just look at every interview as, Hey, this is a, a great conversation with a great person. Let's make the most of it. I like that answer. I thought for sure you'd be like, Oh, yep. It's this person. And we're, we're working on <laughs> Yeah, I don't care. I love that. Well, so what's next in the entrepreneurs on fire chapter is, you know, you got all you got, you know, a million monthly listeners, 20, over 2,600 episodes. How are you going to write that next chapter? 
It's funny by writing another chapter. So what <laughs> I've done is I've actually compiled my eight years of interviews, my almost now up to 3000 guests that I've interviewed over the years. Um, and I've compiled it into what I consider the 17 steps to success, which is a roadmap to success. Um, and I took that idea, took it to HarperCollins, a major publisher, and they signed me to a, a pretty sweet, lucrative deal. And we're coming out with uh, my first book, um, which is called The Common Path to Uncommon Success. And this book is the 17-step roadmap to achieving your version of uncommon success. Like, what is that? What does that look like? Um, fired up to say that the book is done. Pre-order is available now. It has some sick bonuses that are only available during the pre-order stage. So stop hesitating. Get over to uncommonsuccessbook.com. Check out the amazing opportunity to pre-order with those bonuses and uh, get one for yourself, get one for a loved one. Yeah, we're dropping that link in the in the description of this podcast Boom. for sure. <laughs> Thank you. Well, well, John, this has been an absolute blast. I do have one last question for you that we ask all of our guests. And I know you've written plenty of books and I know you've gotten plenty more to come. But if you were to write your autobiography today, what would be the title of it and why? The title would be The Ripple Effect. Because I don't care about legacy. I don't even really want a legacy. I think that's a waste of, of bandwidth and, and attempts that people have. I just want to create a ripple effect. Like my ripple effect is just somebody heard a podcast I did at one point, either on Entrepreneurs on Fire or on other shows that I've done. They were inspired to do something they might not have otherwise done. And now they're inspiring people down the chain to do things they might not have otherwise done and so on and so forth. So I want a, an anonymous ripple effect. I love that. That's a great title. John, thank you so much. As always, go Friars. You Keep doing you, man, and keep being the podcast god, man. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon. So a big shout out to JLD for coming on this week's show. I really learned a lot from this uh, podcasting trailblazer. Uh, to think that he was doing this back in the early 2000s when I was uh, still learning my times tables and, uh, you know, making my way through elementary school and to see what podcasting has become in, in 2021. I feel like every, almost every single content creator has some sort of long form content platform, whether it be a podcast, a daily vlog, uh, you know, a, a live on Instagram, that's 45 minutes, whatever. I think podcasting, although he has said that it has a ceiling, I think it's something that a lot of people are getting into. So it's, it was really neat to see him take the risks that he did in monetizing his podcast and making guests pay to come on his show and turning it into really a true uh, a true business. That, that's what Entrepreneurs on Fire really is. It's, it's a podcast that has turned into a very, very, very successful business. So big shout out to John. I really learned a lot from another fellow PC grad and, and uh, props to him. All things JLD will be linked in the description of this week's podcast. I encourage you to all check him out. Uh, be sure to pre-order his new book, The Common Path to Uncommon Success, A Roadmap to Financial Freedom and Fulfillment, comes out March 23rd, available on Amazon now. I've pre-ordered mine. It's coming and I cannot wait. And uh, he's promising an autobiography called The Ripple Effect. So I'll be ready for that one too. Um, but that does it for this week's episode. We are officially at the halfway point of one year of Normal Guy Lazy Eye, 26 episodes. We did it. And we've had 25 
incredible guests. We had Christine Snaps on twice. Don't forget. I, I'm not saying we had one really, really bad guest. We've had 25 incredible individuals come on the show and share really incredible stories. You know, I, I've, I'm trying to find everybody else's uh, quote unquote lazy eye, what makes them so special, what makes them unique and what makes them love themselves. And uh, I've really enjoyed this being cooped up since March of 2020 in my small little Boston apartment. I thought me, the people person, wouldn't be able to connect with so many people and, and have those relationships. But this podcast has given me that back. And whether I say what you want about Zoom, I know it's not as as personable as a you know in person interview. But I've had such a great time interviewing these guests and learning so much about them. I've learned so much myself and and who I who I'm becoming. And I have this podcast to thank for that. So a big shout out to the guests, a big shout out to the listeners. You guys are, are amazing. Uh, there's no, there's no other word to describe it. So thank you guys so much. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at normal guy lazy eye, where you can see some video footage from the interviews, uh, some bonus content and all things in between. And uh, yeah, that does it for this week's show. I'll be sure to see you all next Wednesday with another great guest. See you then. P.S. I forgot to mention, if you feel like you were gypped of your normal guy lazy eye content for the week, don't worry. I am actually a guest on a podcast this week. Real Relate, the boys over there, had me on their show. It was it was my first time being a podcast guest, so on the other side of the mic, I had an absolute blast with those guys. Be sure to go check them out on Instagram at Real Relate Inc. I-N-C. And it'll be available on YouTube Friday. Be sure to go check it out. And uh, yeah, I'll uh, I'll be sure to share some content from there as well. But that does it. I'll see you all next Wednesday. <laughs>